I'm Whitney Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using their unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome my friend and previous coworker, Paul Bright. Paul Bright and I work together in a community-based mental health setting. He is now a certified sleep science coach. He has his master's of counseling, master's of organizational leadership, and he is also an Air Force veteran. He has an incredible perspective on the nature of mental health, well-being, and trauma through his own experiences and through his professional pursuits. On this episode, Paul shares with us about what is good sleep hygiene, the question we all are trying to figure out. How does trauma impact our sleep? What are sleep disorders and how can we overcome them? And why sleep has the ultimate ROI. Paul also gives us an insight into leadership and growth and what are the most important qualities of a leader. It's a fantastic and very insightful, inspiring and thorough episode that you're gonna learn a lot through. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Hi. It's so good to see you. Good to see you too. It's been a while. Yeah. So, Paul, I'm so glad that we've connected and gotten you on the show. I was on your show about, was it a year ago now? Maybe yeah, just about. A little bit less, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And your show is Bright Insights? Yes, Bright Insights. A play on your last name, Paul Bright. Exactly. The podcast for uh for struggling leaders who want to learn with less stress and more success. So which is awesome. And we I was there, you did you did a cool thing where you like went through the alphabet and you did yeah. a topic for every letter, and I was T for trauma. Yes, ma'am. Yes, you were. Yeah. Very helpful. People love that show Uh, a couple of friends of mine were like give me her information i want her information i need to talk to her so it was great to have you on there that's so great to hear i'm so glad i had a great time and paul you and i know each other from oh man it's been oh it's 2022 so it's been seven years since we were working at uh kaminar in Mm -hmm. fairfield california as case managers yes yes absolutely and what an experience yeah. that was. Yes, very intense, very much boots on the ground, very much going to places where you never thought you'd go. But um, what a wonderful human experience. What a very growing experience, too, all around. A very unique uh, view that you get of life and the human experience for, for people who are really struggling with severe mental illness. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was wild, but it was so much fun working with you. And getting yeah, we had a blast. Yeah. We had some really cool clients that we worked with, and then we just had some good coworkers and just had some fun when we could, you know. Yeah. All that's important in intense jobs like that. Yeah, it was very cool. And now, all these years later, um, you have a master's of counseling, uh, a master's of organizational leadership, and you're now a certified sleep science coach. Yes, ma'am. You're doing all kinds of stuff. Can you tell us about it? Like what is where, and I know also geographically, you've also relocated to the East coast. You're yes. over in um, Asheville, North, Asheville, North Carolina. Moved which over I love. Here. Yeah. It's beautiful out here. Um, North Carolina is actually 
my home state, I was a military brat. And so, you know, you move around to a lot of places. My dad was in the Air Force. And the last stop he had was the middle of North Carolina. So all of my junior high, senior high, undergrad years were in the middle of North Carolina. And then, um, but Asheville was one of those places where you where people from North Carolina just went to visit because of the, it's just calm out here. And so it was really good that even 16 years later, that same calmness is still here. And it's, it's progressed in a lot of ways, in a lot of good ways, and then still uh, local to culture in a lot of ways. So it's been a beautiful mix and a beautiful experience to move out here. Yeah, I would imagine. I was just there about mm-hmm. two months ago, back in November. I did Asheville and then over to uh, Charleston, which we were talking about, where you yeah, yeah. for eight years. Eight years so, I was stationed there. Yeah. Both just gorgeous, fabulous cities. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited you're there and, and that it's going well. So then what are you doing there? What is where is your work taking you? I, I gotta know I know that you got certified in sleep science coach and everything. So yeah. what do you have your own practice? Are you working somewhere? Or? Right. So currently I work for the state. And what I do is I'm an, what you call an implementation specialist. And there's a special program called High Fidelity Wraparound. And what that does is it helps families uh, preserve the family unit by making sure the services go with their voice and choice up front. So any decisions that are made, any team decisions, any goals that they want, uh, the wraparound teams are the ones that would help them come up with those goals and organize meetings uh, and get everybody together, all the supporting cast. They, they build natural supports. And so what I do is now that it's become a statewide funded program is I help the coaches coach. So I'm serving the servers. I'm helping the leaders lead by making sure that they're not only sticking to the model, but also helping helping them grow. You know, a lot of them are still fairly young. It's like, how do we deal with this situation? So I'm helping the team be a team. Is is That's what my day job is. And uh, it was even before COVID, it was mostly remote from the main office. So I would normally be going to visit these teams in my area. And uh, I just happened to be the only person who moved to this side uh, of the state. So it was really convenient for for the program that I'm here. So now folks don't have to drive three hours when I can be there in 20 minutes or 30 minutes to some of these places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but even uh, with COVID, I've still been able to visit some of these uh, teams and these organizations and meet these coaches and, and seeing what it's like from a 10,000 foot view. So now I'm not working directly with families, but I'm working with people who, who are. So it's been really good to see it from this perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And then your certified sleep science coach, what does that mean? And how did you get that certification? And how, how does that work with um, the focus on organizational leadership? Well, uh, the certified sleep science coach thing is completely separate from my day job. That's something that I, I pursued uh, on the side because my day job now is pretty well organized as far as time goes. And I'm somebody who always has to be doing something and creating. And I was in between uh, finishing up all the stuff for the season for the Bright Insights podcast and the Bright Insights media website. And uh, I was in this nice little space. It's like, you know, I need to I need to do a little bit more research for my own sleep and, and look at things. Because I said, I think there's, I, I had overcome a pretty big sleep disorder over the last uh, 15 to 20 years. I was like, you know, this would be a cool podcast. And so I started looking into some new studies with it. And I was like, you know what? I feel like I could 
be a coach in this in some respect where I could be a sleep science coach. And I wanted, I looked around to see if there were programs out there. I was like, well, I probably studied so much of this because the cool thing about going to grad school is you get access to all these peer reviewed documents and all these peer reviewed papers. So all that research, all those grad papers paid off. Um, so I was like, oh yeah. And since I work for the state uh, through a university, I had more access. So I started looking into it and looking at a certification and next thing you know, I became certified. I was like, yeah, I kind of already know a lot of this stuff. So I went through the courses and then took the final test and passed that. And so now I'm a certified sleep science coach. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, sleep is so crucial and it's such a big part of our health, our well-being and our ability to show up and to be at our best in our work and our jobs and as leaders. Yes. Yes, it is. And, um, that's one other really cool thing is because I've always been sort of, you know, consulting small groups and working with small teams uh, already. I've done a lot of little project management here and there and work with other entrepreneurs. And the more I've learned about people that run their own businesses or getting off the ground is that they tend to sacrifice sleep uh, because it's ingrained in them. It's like if you're sleeping, somebody else is getting ahead of you. Somebody's working harder than you. If you're not putting in all the extra hours and and not sacrificing something, then you're not going to succeed. All that gets ingrained and it's very counterintuitive to what it actually takes to succeed. Um, And that is the big return of investment you get with some solid sleep, to be honest. Yeah, it's a huge ROI Mm -hmm. to focus on that sleep. But you're right. It's, you know, with sort of the, um, the hustle and the grind culture. And when people, you know, there's so much competition and so much emphasis on, you know, and I think especially now where people are able to just get out there, they, you can create a business online, you can get on different platforms and you can gain, an, you know, a lot of traction um, and success, but it takes a lot of work. So I you know it's the old model that does work. The more you put in, the more you'll get from it. But we have to ask ourselves at a certain point at what cost. Absolutely. And, and you know, sleep can seem like, well, you know, I'll, I can stay up until 1am and then wake up at six and it'll be fine. And mm-hmm. um, it just often really compromises people's well-being, health and their mental health. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of folks can can say, oh yeah, I can function off of four hours. Um, well, can you do it without coffee? Can you do it without something to put you out? Can you do it without something to, to keep you up? And not very many people can fully function uh, off of four hours. Um, and I would liken it to running a business that you've been in for five years on a skeletal budget. Can you do it? You probably could. But will you truly grow? When something goes down, will you be ready for it? And that may not necessarily be the case. So, you know, always have to start somewhere. But then, you know, most of these good businesses can can get through the big uh, waves and the dips and all that. And sleep isn't that much different. So you you have to really invest in the sleep. And it's hard to see the payoff on that because your eyes are closed. You don't know what's going on when it's happening. If you're working out over time, you can see that in the mirror. Oh yeah. You know, I did definitely change up my diet. You can get on the scale the next day and see something went down or body fat percentage went down or your grocery bill went down because you say it a little bit here and there. Uh, But when you start increasing your sleep, you don't necessarily see what's happening that's good. But to me, more importantly, you don't necessarily what's happening that's bad uh, when you don't get the right amount of sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are some serious repercussions of that, of not getting enough sleep. I mean, it's well, and because one of the biggest 
killers and influencers of our, our well-being, again, both physically and mentally, is stress. And I think that the less stress you get, I know for me, that I find that when I'm not sleeping well, it's, you know, your tolerance goes down as far as what you're able to take on each day. Yes. Yes, absolutely. One of the players in that is cortisol. Uh, some of you listening already probably familiar with cortisol as being identified as that nice um, hormone that comes out when you're in fight or flight response. So, but sometimes we just dismiss fight or flight. I'm like, no, think about that. That's life or death. That's your body preparing you for life or death. So that's your body putting in uh, all the stressors and the extra strength to, you know, and the adrenaline and, and all that to keep your mind focused on a very, uh, very perceived threat. So you're either going to run far, far away and you're going to need that extra boost of energy for that, or you're going to stand and fight your ground. Uh, But here we are as human beings and we have started to put so many stressors on ourselves and some things are not, you know, things that we choose, but some stuff we just get into that our body starts to respond as if it's in fight or flight. Now, if you imagine yourself, if you are trying to survive, uh, what good would a nice deep sleep do you? You kind of have to be at like that at edge of sleep of like, okay, I'm sleeping, but at any minute I have to be able to get up and roll out. And over time, we start doing that. And if your brain is somewhat, uh, let's say, I would say, you know, there's stop and go. If it's if it's going in some functions while you're supposed to be sleeping, you're never getting real restorative sleep. And that's where things start taking a toll. That's where the growth hormones that normally go out and repair your muscles and repair your cells, they're not coming out because, hey, you may be having to get up at any time to deal with this life or death situation that really may not even be life or death. It just, you've tricked your body into thinking it is. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's what can be frustrating is that sometimes we, people feel like they are sleeping, you know, they say, Oh, Mm -hmm. I'm getting sleep. I'm sleeping. I slept, you know, good amount last night, but they wake up and they're still feeling, you know, off and not fully, you know, rejuvenated. And so they're not like coffee. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the idea of, you know, quality of sleep is really imperative and is something that most people again don't take time to look into always absolutely right Um, and that does have a lot to do with getting through your sleep cycles because you you actually go through these cycles a few times a night when you're having six to eight hours of sleep you know there's a way you start easing into sleep your mind starts preparing for and then you go into another deep sleep phase and then an even even deeper sleep phase where it would like a trombone or a trumpet blowing to wake you up And then there's these REM phases and then it starts over again. So um, in those deep sleep phases, that's when your body's doing all the repair work. Uh, In the REM phases, the rapid eye movement phases, um, that's when your mind is starting to sort out the memories of the day to figure out what to keep and what to throw away. Um, So anytime these phases get consistently interrupted is when you start uh, having sleep deficits and sleep problems. And that's where some of the crazier sleep disorders can start showing up. Yeah. Well, can you tell us a little bit about those, about various sleep disorders? Because I think that, I mean, again, some people feel like they really can't take the time to sort of examine their sleep and just will kind of push through and be like, well, I haven't really been able to sleep more than three or four hours a night or three or four hours at a time, but I just got to keep going. I got to keep moving. Got to keep moving. my coffee and just push through Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> funny you bring these up because, or we brought them up because that's, that's sort of where my journey began with all this was when I was in the military. Cause I served from 
1997, right at the end of 1997 through 2008. And I was active duty, enlisted United States Air Force, stationed at Charleston. Um, and right around 1999 was when we got involved with the Kosovo Air and Space Campaign. And, you know, we were supporting NATO. And I was a jet engine mechanic, so I fixed uh, jet engines on the flight line, uh, maintained them, watched, you know, when the planes would we're going to take off and be there ready just in case something went down uh, for C-17 cargo planes. And so we went to several different countries. We went to the Azores and then we went to Spain and then we went to Germany was the last stop. <clears throat> and that is where uh, my sleep paralysis hit me. And what sleep paralysis mm -hmm. is, and some people like have crazier problems with it than I did. Um, that's when your mind wakes up while your body is in that deep catatonic state. Yeah. And so it makes you feel like you're being buried alive. And some people actually see visions or experience paranormal stuff. Um, yes. You hear yeah. about that a lot, about the very, very creepy and disturbing stories about people mm -hmm. with sleep paralysis. That there's yeah. often sort of like this theme, like somebody, like there's like this dark figure in the room. Yeah. Like you hear it, yeah. I'm into the paranormal and scary stories. Yeah. Yeah. And so I watched a lot of those videos and yeah, it's like something will approach you. And then I've heard also that there's a sensation of someone almost like stepping on your chest, like kind yep. of like that. Yeah. 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 So I'm one of those folks that never had those experiences. Oh, good. So there have been times where I've had dreams happening at the same time, but you know, as I've gotten on and gotten educated as to when this was happening, I was like, that was probably, I was probably an REM because that's when you tend to dream is when your brain is trying to sort out memory. So stuff can get convoluted, but this was happening to me once or twice a week. Uh, from about 1999 till even after I served, probably until about 2015, um, is when that one was happening to me, that specific disorder. But I've also had to, I've also dealt with an inability to stay asleep. Um, I've also had insomnia where I was staying up. Uh, some of it was because of the sleep paralysis because I was afraid to go to sleep. Um, it's a scary feeling to think that you're being buried alive. And then when it happens over and over and over again in a night, it's like, oh my gosh, what, what is the point of even trying to go to sleep? Um, so there was a lot of self-medication, doing different things, trying all kinds of stuff, uh, not knowing what it was. Even when I went to my military doctors, uh, well, first of all, when you're in the military, you're almost afraid to report anything that's going on. Because there's always this stigma of you're going to get kicked out. You could get, you know, medically boarded and removed if something is permanent, which does actually happen. Um, but depending on the, where they want the forces at. Uh, so I didn't even report this for whew, probably about three or four years. And then I finally just couldn't take it anymore because now we had moved past through September 11th. And now I'm working from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., six days a week. And having these sleep paralysis attacks in the middle of the day because, you know, my body is off sync from all the different time zones, from all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I finally reported it. And my doctor did not know what to do. She was like, ah, the only thing I can tell you to do is maybe start getting on day shift. And if you're in the military, you don't get to tell your bosses when you want to work. So, yeah. but fortunate for me, it wasn't very long. I actually got put on day shift anyway. And it still happened. It still kept happening, just not as often. So... Yeah, it was it was pretty intense, but it was that and these different disorders. And then 
over time as it started getting access to documents and the internet and this Google thing, you know, came about, like I started doing more and more research and starting to find little bits and pieces of things that I could do to help myself. And over the years, I got it from happening to once or twice a week to maybe now, um, maybe six times a year it happens. And I can usually tell when it's going to happen. Um, mm. So it's not as scary. So what allows you to tell when it's going to happen? <clears throat> the triggers. Um, so one of the things that, that is a cause for sleep paralysis is having your, your mind and your body are off sync with your sleep cycle. So again, you're supposed to be going into this deep sleep. Um, and we're really supposed to be aligned. Uh, you you'd probably appreciate this with the earth, how the sun moves, the sun comes up, it triggers certain hormones in us, uh, neurotransmitters that tells our body it's time to wake up. And so we wake up and we have this uh, sleep-wake cycle that's going on. We have like an internal clock. We've got hormones like adenosine and all that, that that sort of regulate our sleep. And then when the sun goes down, we naturally get sleepy. And there's a certain point in the night where your pineal gland release melatonin and that goes into your bloodstream and now your whole entire being starts to feel sleepy and you know it's supposed to be dark and so when you go into sleep and you're in a good environment you stay out well with me moving all these different time zones my body didn't know when it was supposed to sleep and how long was it supposed to sleep and being in the military we're always supposed to always be ready to to leave at any moment's notice so a lot of that added up over the years and even when i was working regular people's hours um, it just, my body just could not get used to it. Even it would, couldn't even get used to being in regular hours. So it took quite some time. But um, as I got educated, I started thinking, you know, if I knew the things I know now, um, back then I probably could have fixed it under a year, which would have been amazing. So, yeah. yeah. Well, what is it that you know now that you well, can do to address it and to, and to help others who are struggling with that? Because that does just yeah. sound just incredibly scary yeah it is it is it sounds scary but more that that you get educated on what could be triggering it and all kinds of stuff it's it's less scary um so i know for me like my triggers uh tend to be again the time zones like the last time i went through this we had driven cross country because we moved to Asheville and my mind was going through one and a half time zones a day, it seemed like. And we got here really quick. Um, so I was like, you know, it's probably going to hit. And it sure enough did hit, but it, but I was okay with it. It was bad in the moment, but once I got through, I was like, oh, I know exactly what I need to do to reset myself. So I stayed up as late as I possibly could the next day. Didn't take anything to stay up. I just forced myself. I put myself on a restricted sleeping. Um, and within a day, I was done. I haven't had an, haven't had a, an attack since. Um, so that's one of the things to do is just to try to get your mind and your body on a pretty consistent rhythm. Whatever time you go to sleep is when you go to sleep. Whatever time you wake up is whenever you wake up. And you just got to keep doing that. And, and the more rhythm you can get, it's really not that much different than a lot of stuff. It's like even if you don't do everything perfect, that's going to help you go to sleep and stay asleep. If you can just set a rhythm, if you can just say absolutely this time I'm going to be in my bed and absolutely this time I'm going to wake up and you start practicing that, eventually you start getting into it. It's like people who want to um, – burn excess weight. You start walking. You walk every day. At some point, it's going to get used to that. And then you might can add something else here and there. And that's actually the approach I take with with my one-on-one clients is I do it. I do it very holistically and I do it very um, in a more habit-forming uh, pattern because uh, that's what it took for me too. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And then what about when you're, when, so when you know that it might be coming on and you have sleep paralysis, just for if anyone, cause again, it just sounds mm-hmm. so terrifying. If anyone's in that moment, have yeah. you learned certain things that you can do if you're in that yeah. phase, if you're okay, yeah. this is it, I feel I'm being buried alive. Does that mean that you feel you can't breathe or that you're, you can't move your body? Cause I know that you can't move your body. You can't you, move, but do you feel a yeah. sensation of not being able to breathe? Yes, because you can't move your body, even though you are breathing. You're, you're actually perfectly fine. I had one uh, therapist like, like, you should just pass through it. I'm like, you've never been through this before. <laughs> um, and she's probably right. I mean, because honestly, it's, it's, you're off sync. There's nothing that's physically actually happening to you from the medical perspective uh, when you're having the sleep paralysis. It's just that your mind has gotten off sync with your body. It's woken up. One thing that can wake it up is is um, even sleep apnea, because I didn't realize I had bits and pieces of that. So your brain wakes up going, oh my gosh, something's happening to you. And it wakes up uh, because it doesn't know what's going on. It's trying to preserve you, but your body's just fine. And so there's that battle. You can um, try to talk yourself out of it, like First of all, talk yourself into it like, I'm going to sleep, I'm going to be fine. But when you're having it, it's like, this is normal, I'll be okay, I can just let this pass, I can breathe, feels like crap, but I can. Um, what I tend to do is I do tend to wake myself up, I'll like concentrate on like a toe or a finger or something like that, and I'll just keep concentrating on it and trying to move it, and slowly but surely my body will wake up. Um what you should do in those cases is don't try to go straight back to sleep because you're just going to go through the thing over and over and over again. What I would recommend is something that I would recommend to anybody that wakes up in the middle of the night and needs to go back to sleep is you go to another room, go to another room that's got low lights and all that. Uh, maybe read a book, do something calm. Don't, don't start playing video games or watching intense TV, but something that you can do that's calm and relaxing. Maybe if it's sipping tea and just be like, all right, well, I'm awake. Instead of being mad about it or when I go back to sleep, just calm yourself through it. You know, do something very light and eventually you'll naturally get sleepy again and then you can go back to bed. So that's definitely one thing I would recommend. Yeah. And, and I think it's also encouraged not to use any electronics at that time, right? Which can be really challenging. I know that I, I have um, a tendency to wake up in the middle of the night and stay right. up for unfortunately like an hour or two sometimes. And I just, yeah. and I, I've learned that I just have to just, I think a big thing is acceptance, you know, cause it, you, you definitely have the worst is when you wake up at like three or four and you have to be up at seven and yeah. you're like, great. Like I either get up now or try to get a little yeah. bit more sleep. Yeah. So it's hard to not go to that place of like, why? Like how do I yeah. need to sleep? And yeah. you know, there can be a lot of anger, like, you know, cause you're also, yeah. you, you're sleep deprived and you're frustrated and you're stressed all those things. So, but I found that I do breath work at those times. If I read, if I just do something soothing and just be in a place of acceptance, like I know I'll still make it through the day. I know I can get up. It may not be pleasant, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to be okay. Yeah. You're 100% right. Uh, You will be okay. That was my, one of the biggest battles before I got a hold of, of dealing with my sleep paralysis and insomnia and inability was being mad because I had to be up and go, um, not to sound like a hero, but go defend the country, you know, (laughs) go do things in dangerous places, like even on the flight line or what have you and, and be awake and not just defend the country, but be there, be present for 
my coworkers, my fellow, my fellow folks. So it was very frustrating to, to know that. And then knowing, well, you know what, this is also a trigger is if I try to go back to sleep, I'm going to likely have another sleep paralysis attack. And then the next week they're going to be like, Hey, can you go to, can you go to Germany for three days to go fix this plane? Uh, so it was, it was a constant fit like that, but, uh, getting into a regular rhythm and being able to relax my way, the breathing also helps. Um, but one thing I would, I would, ask people to think about, um, maybe even in your case, is that what is it that's waking you up? What what are you doing to prepare yourself all day for sleep? Um, because honestly, with your natural body, you actually start preparing for sleep the minute you wake up. That's something that, that folks don't necessarily realize is, is what's happening. That's something I definitely learned along the way. Uh, with with my sleep science coaching was you, you're actually preparing for this the minute you wake up uh, your body is going through the day it's giving you the energy you need to get through the day but all the while that that's happening it's actually preparing you to go to sleep at night because it's that important and so i imagine it's on a cellular level that your body is just because your body is constantly regenerating cells and that it's probably from the time you wake up just preparing you to you know you get through the day but then when you're going to be able to go back to a resting state Yes, that's absolutely it. There's a lot of hormones that go through, just like your digestive system, just like your, just like anything medical that's going on, any, any system you have, you know, being able yeah. to walk, being able to stretch, eating. There's a lot of systems that go on in your body that we accept, except for the sleep one. We don't accept that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a perspective shift to me is that you, you don't see sleep as an interruption between what you want to do, but something that you need, just yeah. like brushing your teeth. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's a necessity that we can't compromise, but it, it, yeah. it, it feels like, well, I mean, I think we compromise a lot of things, right? Cause a lot of us will compromise stuff like exercise and mm-hmm. again, sleep and eating healthy and all these things that because we have, you know, the ability to determine for ourselves, our practice in those regards. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we, we can kind of skimp on certain things and, and, you know, back to you being a, you know, sort of leadership coaches, right. you know, that's, it's easy to skimp on things when all you're really looking at is growth potential and like production and and how productive you can be. You're like, what do I need all this time for, for sleep and for eating and Mm -hmm. for exercise? I can just focus all my time. If you look at it, it's kind of like a macro and micro thing. Like that's the individual level, but you see as a society, like you look at the amount of money that we allocate in our budget towards health and wellness and prevention. It's very minimal compared to a lot of other areas. Right, right. And we're, you know, we're very individual society anyway. I mean, uh, so there's a lot of stuff that you get your own voice and choice in doing. Sleep is one of those things where look at all the different diets out there. Look at all the different fats. Look at all the different ways to approach eating healthy. And I'm glad that's opened up. It used to be maybe 15 years ago, finding anything organic was going to cost you five times as much. But now a lot of these stores are incorporating organic things and more natural foods, even the meats and all that. So the cost for that is less, but you have a lot of choices in that. So people actually have more options to eat healthier, even with exercise. You're, uh, one thing COVID showed folks is there's a lot you can do from your house. You don't need a, a very expensive gym membership uh, to maintain some really good blood flow and get yourself going. Uh, you can do that from home. You can buy stuff at home that's not just a bike. Uh, but then sleep is like, oh, go get this pill. Go get this melatonin. Go get this, uh, you know brand name pill or ask your doctor for a prescription for this. And what folks don't realize is that these prescriptions are supposed to be short term. 
Um, and so getting to the organizational perspective, like how many, how many folks are going to come to their boss and be like, you know, I'm having trouble sleeping um, because of a lot of the work that we do. It's like, all right, we'll go see a doctor. Um, how about we look at it from the organizational perspective is like, what are you doing within your organization on the day to day that either eases the stress or gets closer to natural circadian rhythm um, that may help your workers get more quality sleep? What are some of these things? Because like I said, preparing for sleep starts the minute you wake up. And a lot of it is stress management. A lot of it is keeping the cortisol levels at a certain place. A lot of it is getting sun exposure and eating the right things. Um, and then winding your way down through the day as the sun goes down and not necessarily feeling the pressure to stay up and fire off that one last email or or XYZ. So from an organizational perspective, imagine your increase in productivity from your workers and your subordinates when they're getting really good rest. It doesn't just happen just because they took some days off. The rest really comes daily. Yeah. Well, I'd love to take a look at that at what you just described, because when we think of it that way, okay, the second we wake up, we're preparing for sleep. So then what puts us in the best position that when, you know, whatever a bedtime is, which I'd also be curious, I've heard that about 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. is the best window for sleep, just based on, and it's probably because of that preparedness that it gives you the most amount of time from waking to sleeping, you know, at a normal sort of set day that you can regenerate and be ready. Considering that, like maybe our bedtime is 10 p.m., what do you think about our schedule? What's the best? Is there a best time to exercise, to eat, to, you know, to engage, to do all our, our work and be on our tablets and phones and everything and computers? You know, what is most conducive to healthy sleep hygiene? Well, I mean, there's there's the answer answer. And then there's what you can actually what's what's happening in your own individual world. Yeah. 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. is like the most optimal window for sleep. Um, because around nine, uh, this, you know, the sun is completely gone. Uh, that's a good set of hours. However, what's happening in those hours is going to be also helpful. So if you have low lights, because this is the thing, when you have too much artificial light on your skin, um, the melatonin doesn't come out because it's being tricked into thinking, oh, the sun's still up. And so if you have too much artificial light on your skin, the melatonin doesn't necessarily come out. If you have too much artificial light in your eyes where you've got the triggers that are helping your brain know that it's time to go to bed, um, the, then all the things, all the hormonal things are supposed to help uh, to help promote sleep aren't happening necessarily at their best. Now, some people are okay. They can sleep fine. I'm one of those strange people that I can be on my phone until right before I go to bed, but it's because I have a rhythm. I have the lighting down and really I'm not looking at anything that's triggering my brain to start thinking and rolling or anything like that. I don't look at religious posts. I don't look at political discussions. I don't look at funny videos. Usually I'm just looking for some semi-boring podcasts to play and then I'm out, you know, (laughs) or or I'll play one of my guided meditations um, that, that I made or something like that. Something I'll get constructed and then I'm out. So it works fine for me. But a lot of folks, if you're up and you've got the TV lights blaring in your eyes and you got this computer screen over here and all those things, um, if those things are constantly going up until you go to bed, uh, your, your brain isn't quite ready to go to sleep yet. There's still electricity that's firing because it's trying to process all this information that it's been absorbing. Yeah. Yeah. 
And what do you, what are your thoughts about food and exercise? Are there optimal times to eat? I mean, a lot of people will say, I mean, you get mixed messages, right? There's so mm-hmm. much information out there that you can hear where, oh, you exercise anytime, doesn't matter. Don't exercise mm-hmm. after like five so that your body mm-hmm. has like fully, you know, mm-hmm. come into a restful state and, or right. don't eat too late because then your body's while you're trying to sleep is, you know, pro- yeah. processing and digesting your food. Yeah. That's going to keep your system running. So what yeah. are your thoughts around that? My thoughts is, um, you have to be mindful of the cortisol levels when you exercise because even though it's fun and it's good for you, vigorous exercise too close to sleep, your your body's all spun up. And so your mind is all spun up. Um, so there's a lot of electricity going. Your cortisol spun up because like, yeah, we're ready to go. We're ready to do stuff. Um, if you don't get those things down, it can be hard. And also um, almost forgotten is your body core temperature. Uh as you're going to sleep, your body core temperature is supposed to drop. That's why it's suggested you sleep in a cool room or a cool bed. So if you've been exercising a lot and you try to go to bed, you might be physically exhausted, but your body is still not cool enough to get into those deep rest periods. So, mm. um, so you have to be mindful of that. So I, I suggest, you know, I'm not a morning exercise person myself, so I don't do it in the morning, but that's the best time is really you can knock out two birds with one stone if you're exercising as the sun comes up because the sun is helping generate that vitamin D in you and it's helping your body wake up. And now you're getting this exercise. It's giving you getting physically fit and your blood's moving. Um, you, you're able to focus better on your day when you've got all that done and you, you got a good vibe going. You promoted some good positive hormones as well. Um, so that's probably the best time to exercise. As far as eating, like you said, heavy meals that are going to keep your body doing processes besides resting are not going to be helpful. So if you get the late night snackies, you know, you may want to eat some small stuff, uh, you know, but again, being mindful of what you're eating throughout the day can help prevent you from getting too snacky at night. So you don't get into that situation. Yeah. And I think that also for anyone who's super busy and pursuing a mm-hmm. career is it can be hard to schedule times to eat or, or yep. you know, consistent mm-hmm. meal times, yeah. which I think do make a big difference. Not only, I mean, it's oh, yeah. too cold, your sleep, but also your, your, your weight and your health, you know, yeah. And your, yeah. your blood sugar levels throughout the day, which kind of, and keep the cortisol. So it's all intertwined. Yeah. It's all intertwined. Yeah. And, and I, and I understand all that, you know, and you know, the question is what's the optimal, what's the best. The reality is for some folks hitting those is going to be incredibly difficult to do just tomorrow because of their schedules as they are. I was in the military. I worked all kinds of shifts. My shift might've changed uh, for the first five or six years, it might have changed like two or three times a year where I was either working all day or working at night or working in a different time zone. It didn't matter week to week, month to month. Um, so eat was eating was something that just got in the way of work. So we would get these, we used to call them box of nasties and just be like this box lunch that came from the cafeteria, you know, or you'd be somewhere like, um, like I always tell people this story, like uh, there was one point where I spent almost a week in France, but it was not, it wasn't Paris. You know, it wasn't like some big city. Uh, We're trying to repair a plane and where we were repairing the plane was at an airbase that was not near much of anything. So we really had pretty much snacks most of the time, unless it was just too windy to work that day. Then we could eat pretty good, but there was no regular eating schedule or regular food. So I, I get it. It can be difficult, but doing the prep work ahead of time to say, okay, you know what? I know this is going to be a tough time here, but at least for 15 minutes, I can eat this. I can eat that. Um, so, yeah. Getting something. 
Mm-hmm. And then uh, what you mentioned melatonin, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on melatonin? Do you, are you not an advocate for it? Do you discourage it? I, I wouldn't necessarily discourage it. Um, I feel like how, you know, as I've gotten older, the, the closer to what I can make things happen naturally first, the, the better. So if I know like part of my education, I learned vitamin D and magnesium. So your body gets the best source of vitamin D is from the sun. You get a lot of sun, your body absorbs all that. And at night, uh, and the magnesium helps regulate like the operation of your cells, especially your sleep hormones. And so the vitamin D, um, uh, I believe it's like the magnesium helps that, the vitamin D helps that magnesium function. Um, and as this is going on, it's building up in your body and it helps uh, that melatonin release. And so so I start thinking about, I was like, all right, well, why would I need melatonin supplements? It's probably because I'm not getting enough sun exposure and maybe I'm not getting enough magnesium and maybe at night instead of turning all the lights off around nine o'clock or getting things low, I'm up chatting, I'm up on video, I'm up, you know, partying and all whatever I'm doing, watching TV, doing all kinds of stuff with lots of lights on me and then trying to go to bed at one. And it's like, oh, well, let me take this melatonin now. Well, if I take the melatonin like five hours before it was, you know, supposed to have been naturally working, it's no wonder that I'm going to be drowsy at seven or eight in the morning. So, so I'm not necessarily against it. I mean, I'm really not a hundred percent against even the prescribed meds. It's all in why are you using them and knowing them. It's kind of like how we learned, um, we worked with our mental health clients. Like I want a Xanax. I want this. I want that. I want out of it. I want these things. And it's like, well, some of these things are supposed to be temporary, but you're relying on them versus using them for what they needed. I can imagine somebody that um, is going through some physical therapy or, you know, maybe they've got chemo therapy going on or something serious like that. You're not necessarily going to be able to get the sun that you need and do all the things that you want when you want them. So these aids will help you. But before I would take those, I would look into naturally what's happening that's making it so that I need this extra melatonin. Why is my body not producing it? Am I getting enough sun? Am I getting enough vitamin D? Am I getting enough magnesium? Am I turning the lights down um, as the night goes on? So, Right. Yeah, there, there's a time and a place for those things. And they're definitely wonderful resources to have. You know, and to your point, as we saw with our clients, sometimes it absolutely can save lives, these different mm-hmm. medications and aids. Oh, yeah. You do get to the point where, where it's for the long run. And, and this is such a big, you know, issue for all people everywhere, which is the question of, you know, am I taking the quick fix and avoiding getting to the root cause, right? Am I yes. avoiding, yeah. yeah, it's easier to to take this. And, you know, do you said if someone's severely ill, they don't have the access to the sun. They can't do all these things. But if you have access to these things that you just aren't taking the time to utilize and figure out what, what could work for you and improve your mm-hmm. situation, then when you go just to the quick fixes, that can be detrimental to your right. health, long-term, you know, sleep quality and health. Absolutely. You're right. And I mean, if you think about it, um, so like we're at the age now where we've got parents and grandparents, you know, you know, just be real heading off into the sunset. And you start hearing about like this memory loss and Alzheimer's. And even now when we're even at our age, we're like, oh, I got CRS. I can't remember uh, stuff or whatever. It's like, ah, it's just because I'm getting older. It's like, well, you know, there's going to be some natural memory loss. Uh, But when you start thinking about Alzheimer's and dementia and and the plaques that are in the brain that are keeping these uh, the right memories from being retained, 
a lot of that starts, they've seen evidence. And I'm not just saying, oh, some studies show, I'm talking about like the peer-reviewed work. They see this at, at younger and younger ages starting to develop as, as folks aren't getting enough sleep. So, because think about it, you're not getting that REM sleep. You're not getting that, that uh, this is a process I learned that was happening. Um, when you're in this REM sleep, like your, your body has this cere- cerebrospinal fluid uh, that goes into your brain and it's like the brain wash, like, but the good kind, you know, so it's going in there. It's <laughs> good kind of washing, brain yeah, but the good kind. Yes. Um, it's washing out free radicals It's washing out all these things. Um, but that's only going to happen if you're getting that good restorative sleep. So if you're not getting that, then it's not necessarily happening. So now these plaques start to build up just like the ones you see with folks that have dementia and Alzheimer's and what have you. Um, so now is as good a time as any to start going, well, you know what? I really need to start optimizing myself for better sleep, whatever I have access to. Yeah. Yeah. And then going back a little bit to causes, um, when you look at, at your situation, mm-hmm. when we take you back to before, it sounds like these developed when you entered the military. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Do you think there yeah. was a correlation? Um, I can't speak for everybody in the military. Um, I will say this, and I, I am actually developing a course uh, to help veterans get better sleep, folks that have come out of the service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we yes, PTSD is something for real that happens to folks. Not every veteran has it, but, you know, PTSD, you have folks that deal with that. I mean, you have folks that deal with medical trauma that makes it hard to sleep. That was one of my issues, too, because, you know, I have, like, little injuries here and there that, that as you get older – Athletes even talk about this, like, yeah, that thing that happened to me at 22, like I'm 40 and now it really, really hurts, you know. Those are things that contribute to it. But there are a lot of veterans that um, didn't have to go through so many severe things but have trouble sleeping. And one of the the causes to your question is the state of mind we're supposed to be in. Um, At basic training, you know, they build, they tear everything down that you know about life and build you back up because, you know, we talked about being uh, ready for fight or flight. Um, that's self-preservation. When you're in the military and you're going through basic training, every service is like this. You're not only doing fight or flight to preserve yourself, but you're there to preserve the mission and preserve those around you. So you have to learn to think at all those levels as you are under attack, however you're being attacked. So when you're under threat or the mission is a threat because now that's part of you, um, you have to think at multiple levels, which is why we are, you know, the greatest military is what we have. Only 3% of folks, you know, even volunteer and, and are able to serve. Um, so that doesn't go away. I mean, even when you get through basic training and you go through technical schools to schools and you go to your, your first duty station, even if you're not, uh, your job isn't to be like on the ground shooting at people or what have you, you're always exercising. You're always doing all these exercises and, 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 rehearsals and practice for what could really happen. Uh, so you're always on the edge. You're triggered to hear certain alarms. You work different shifts to support people. You're always going to be at that edge of fight or flight. Even when you're sleeping, uh, we used to have this joke is like, you're not, you're not off work. You're just not in uniform right now. <laughs> so you're, it's, it is a military lifestyle. So yeah, it can definitely contribute, um, every day, uh, even the first eight weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, depending on the service you're in, and even more so in the other jobs you get. Um, and there's that natural system pressure of wanting to be ready all the time, even when you're not. So sleep is an interruption to the mission. Um, 
even though everyone knows good and well you're supposed to get rest, they're never going to tell you not to sleep. Uh, the practicals of that are very, very hard, especially when you're younger, when you're not sleeping in your own room. You've got a roommate, you've got a dorm mate, you've got all kinds of stuff. You could be sleeping like I did sometimes, sleeping on cargo planes, you know, on a big metal floor between a box and some big metal, sh- you know, in boots and, you know, t- not necessarily the best rest you can get for your body when you're going through different time zones. So, yeah, yeah, I can all contribute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, you mentioned PTSD and that, and that's mm-hmm. so incredible. You're going to be working and creating a program for, for veterans right. who are struggling to sleep due to PTSD. How does trauma impact our sleep? Well, uh, to, to clarify, it'll be for any veteran. Like it's not, I'm not, I'm going to focus on people with PTSD or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was saying was that even with whether you had a PTSD diagnosis or not, uh, veterans tend to have problems sleeping uh, yeah. regardless, but definitely PTSD. One thing I would say is, is for anyone that's got a severe mental health condition or medical condition, really, before you go into any sort of sleep program, definitely consult your physicians and your specialists to see what works for you, because sometimes there's certain medications, certain things that you have to do. Um, but the program, when we want to talk about trauma, though, this is what I have discovered, is that childhood trauma... Um, prior to 18 can affect your quality of sleep as an adult. Um, I looked at several, several peer-reviewed articles and different studies and methodologies that they used. And that was the most common outcome was like people that experienced some significant childhood trauma. um, And it didn't even necessarily matter what kind of trauma it was. uh, It affects their adult sleeping life. You know, it's some of the things like some stuff like, you know, you can almost correlate it. You can almost put the causations correlations now just thinking about how the cortisol levels rise. Because, you know, when you're a kid, like your safety is is all in your parents, whatever they're able to provide you, whatever your mom, dad provide you, that's your safety. So when something traumatic happens to you, you don't see it coming. um, It it can really jolt you unless you get some serious help. But if adults, responsible adults in your life are the cause and there's consistent trauma going on, there's a consistent flooding of cortisol and stressors and you don't necessarily know how to word it because you're an infant or you're five, pre-verbal, post-verbal, you're eight or nine, you only have the perspective of a child, um, it ends up with nightmares and all kinds of stuff, but your body's still growing. So this is what it thinks sleep is is just being away from the trauma versus being restorative. Um, so I can see how that can contribute to folks as they become adults uh, and affecting their sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It can really be long-term impactful. Any form. I mean, anything that happens in our childhood um, mm-hmm. does tend to have repercussions throughout our lives. It tends to, yes. we, we really are establishing a lot of our solid foundation when we're young, as far as our beliefs about ourselves, our safety, our well-being, how much we're nurtured, how much we're um, attended to. When those, mm-hmm. when there's a lack of security and safety, it, it creates the framework for how we live our lives. Yes. And it, it's those first, I mean, those first three years, first six years, a lot is sort of put into place. And it doesn't mean, you know, as a therapist, I do a lot of work with people. It doesn't mean it can't be improved upon once it's addressed, but it, it is, you know, fairly impactful. And unfortunately, someone like you or I are going to be working with someone who's later in life. 
And those yeah. have already been, have already happened. And so we're, yeah. we're working on the aftermath. We're okay. Yeah. Well, now that we know this. So right. do you, do you, you know, since you have your master's in counseling, do you tend to mm-hmm. incorporate a little bit of both, like a little bit of therapy, trying to find out, find out their background? Because the more, you know, the more you can help mm-hmm. someone, right? Right. Well, as a sleep coach, I'm not doing that. However, it helps if you're ever going to get any sleep coach, uh, if it's if it's not going to be me. If you're ever going to get anybody, it's good to have somebody that does have a counseling background or health and wellness background or nutritional background and life coaching background, anything like that, because it's not just going to be surface like you're having trouble with X, do Y. Um, it does help for me to know these things. I do ask that question when I start with clients is like, has anything traumatic happened to you even just the last couple of years that may be interrupting your sleep? And sometimes they'll start talking about things that happened uh, in the past. Uh, and I'll say, you know, if you do have past trauma, like as a child, it could be affecting your sleep. Now, I would highly suggest you go get that worked at with a professional because mm-hmm. I was right at the edge of going to test for my licensure when I moved from California. But what happened was COVID hit. So all the timing for everything threw off. And I was like, now we're moving to North Carolina. Let me just go do it over here. So as I settled, that may be something I would incorporate. Like if I decide to open up a private practice, I would absolutely incorporate that. But as a sleep coach, I definitely encourage people to highlight it and recognize it as a potential factor. Um, And if it is one, then I tell them, you know, you really need to go get that worked on. However, the things that I can work on with you are still going to be helpful if you want to keep pursuing this, because I I do take a very holistic and and all around approach to helping folks uh, get the sleep that they deserve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that it, it, again, it can be so challenging and not just, you know, childhood trauma, which sort of sets the stage, but then later mm-hmm. life trauma, I mean, later life trauma, significant traumatic events, like a, a sudden mm-hmm. event, right. That does that, yes. with that PTSD where it's like an accident or a severe illness or the loss mm-hmm. of humor, whatever it might be. And, right. you know, suddenly the, the person finds their whole life interrupted, disrupted yeah. in their sleep. So yes. how do you approach that as, you know, as, as yeah. a specialist, how do well, you well, what I do, like I have a client that, that it was in a similar situation and I was able to help her out um, just from having a good conversation. Um, her sleep issues started when her husband was deployed um, because while he was deployed, uh, dealing with stuff in Afghanistan and all that, um, she was taking care of her kids. Um, but instead of them sleeping in different rooms, they all slept together because, you know, just, you know, daddy's gone. So, okay, mom will sleep with you. So they started doing things like watching TV together, plugging earbuds in together, headphones in together, all these things um, that was just more, they were just trying to seek comfort and feeling that safety and security of being together. Um, well, eventually he came back after, you know, obviously touring in and out and no longer was doing all that stuff. But these similar habits were sticking around and even the after effects were sticking around of, of going to bed with loud music on and, and everybody sleeping this way. It wasn't as comfortable. Um, so one of the things we recognized is like, you know what, these are some of the same things that you're doing now um, that seem necessary back in 2014 or 2015, but aren't necessarily now. And so the, some of the work we did was trying to slowly but surely unpack and, and unwind those things. And I could say the same thing for anybody that's gone through some adult trauma. The way you slept may have been a coping mechanism 
to help you deal with it, whether you were blocking things out or staying up because you were afraid of the same event happening again. You knew what it was. You knew somebody broke in your house. You knew what happened to you, physical trauma that happened to you or what have you. But now that that period is over, you may still have those same coping mechanisms that may not necessarily need uh, for you to sleep. And so if you're doing these things that help you survive as far as your sleep mentally, but now you're trying to work and incorporate yourself back up, but you're still doing these things, they don't, the, the two don't necessarily fit. And so that's something that I would address. Yeah. Yeah. How wonderful. Well, Paul, it sounds like you're going to be helping a lot of people and running yeah. a really successful business. I'm excited. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited too. I mean, I, I feel so blessed that, um, not just one thing, but two things. Now I'm in a position to help people who are helping others. And, and, and I've felt for a few, the last, you know, six or seven years that that was my calling. And so now that I'm actually in this position, it's exciting. Like who talks about it being exciting to help folks sleep better, you know, but I, you know, but I know it's going to be good. There's so many people who struggle with it, you know, yeah, in, in yeah. the field, yeah. humanitarian field, you're in the business of wanting to yeah. help where there's a, a need, oh, yeah. such a need. I don't know. I, I don't know many people that don't struggle somewhat with sleep. I think it's yeah. it's so yeah. common. Especially in our field, because we take the cases home with us whether we want to or not. You know, it's really easy to to oh, I had that struggle when we worked together at Caminar. I worked, I took the cases home every day and they weren't on paper. It was all in my head. It was a lot of stuff that we dealt with. And I wonder how they're doing at this Ruben board or did so and so find a house because I worked with homeless people, you know, dropping folks off, not knowing where they're gonna be. You know, it's really, really easy to take those things home and then not get the need the, the sleep that you need the sleep that you deserve. And, you know, that's one of the courses I'm actually working on. I'm going to be presenting at a conference not too long from now is how to, how um, I'm incorporating the sleep factor into it is how community providers can, can incorporate better self-care. And that's a huge piece of it is getting really good, solid sleep, you know? Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. And then on the note of, of leadership and and of running your own business, almost all the guests on my show are, you know, self-employed, they're creating yeah. businesses and their own empires yeah. in different ways. And yeah. in order to bring healing, to bring help to others, you know, that's sort of yes. the focus of this show. And so a lot yeah. of listeners as well. So I would love for you to share a little bit about your ideas about leadership and what makes somebody an effective leader and what are ways to, you know, pursue that path of, you know, bringing something to the world. So that's in, in itself makes you a bit of a leader. You're leading with a thought with a presentation with something you're offering, how can you do that most effectively? And what do you think are some of the most important qualities of a leader? Ooh, it's a lot, of, lot of good. It's a, it's a lot of questions, but they're, they're all really good questions. Uh, my personal perspective is, is anybody that's got a pretty solid vision of what they're trying to achieve. Um, and if it's incorporated with what they truly believe um, that's always going to be a good start because at that point um, you really start becoming a servant leader and when you're serving that vision. So when you're serving a vision and it's a solid vision, it's not like, uh, you know, going to make a million dollars, going to, you know, going to be the, the top X, Y, or Z. You know, those are great goals to have. But if you've got a solid vision, it's like this is where I'm trying to go right now. Everything slowly but surely starts to fall into place. And if you serve that vision, uh, then you start serving anything or anyone that supports that vision. 
And when you start hiring people with that vision in mind, you start getting people that are going to be on board. And they're not necessarily going to agree with every method or everything that you do. But if they agree with the vision, they'll go with it. And so you start becoming a really good quality leader when you when you position yourself uh, that way. It's 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 like optimal branding, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I really I really like that approach when I see servant leaders that do that. I've been fortunate to have a lot of servant leaders um, be in my path on my way to leading and and things. Um, another aspect of it, uh, there's a guy. <laughs> He is a retired Air Force Colonel, Bill DeMarco, one of the, the coolest human beings. I interviewed him for my podcast. I, I went to church with him. Um, I never worked under him in the Air Force, but he worked in like the building next to me. And, you know, he was pretty high up there. Um, but what he does now is he teaches young. He's a civilian, but he's working at a leadership school that teaches junior officers from all around the world to lead. And one of the things that I learned from him was a statement. It's called permanent beta. And what he's referring to is that you're always learning. You're always learning. You're never, he says, I get scared when someone says they're a leadership expert. It's like, you can't be an expert because you're always learning if you're a leader. The, the populations that you you work with, the people that you work with, even your own vision can start to change. So you have to be constantly always learning and not assume that what you're doing is the nine, you know, 100%, but you also can't stress over it at the same time. So be ready to learn. You know, be ready to learn as a leader, even if you're in charge. So those are definitely some some things. Making sure you have a solid vision and the people you're getting on board with you are in line with that vision. You're in line with that vision. You start serving that vision. You'll start serving um, everyone around you. It's And it's great to see it happening. It is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's fantastic. And I love that idea of, you know, having that, that vision for your service for, you know, if you, if you believe in what you're wanting to offer and what you're wanting to lead with or how mm-hmm. you want to lead, then it does tend to fall into place. Yeah. Have that intention. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you a quick story on where I heard this happening. Yeah. Um, there, there was a guy uh, when I was, I was not in the air force anymore, but I was working on the base and there was a guy named Chief Ivy. I can say his name now. Um, God bless me. He passed away not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And he was a reservist. He was the highest, you know, the chief is like the E9. They're like the highest ranking enlisted person in the shop. So they are there to make sure that all the people and process are going along the way. Um, and I met this new person that had come to my church. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm in there. So that's cool. And they told me where they work. I said, oh, that's where Chief Ivy is. Like, you know Chief Ivy? I'm like, yeah, I know Chief Ivy. She goes, let me tell you a story about him. She said that her and her husband um, were working opposite shifts under Chief Ivy. So she was working like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And he was working like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So they really didn't get much time together unless, you know, they were just swapping out shifts. Um, and then they had a newborn. They had a young baby. And so they always had this baby at the babysitter unless it was their days off. Well, Chief found out about this, and he was not too happy with it, but he's not the yelling type of guy. So what he did was he arranged for them to have more hours off in between, and he had his daughters come in and babysit the baby while the baby was in the office. So the baby would sleep in the office. That way they wouldn't have to stress over getting the baby to and from the baby so they could spend more time with themselves. Um, and he put a sign on the door that says, quiet, chief is sleeping, you know, but it was just for the baby. Um, so that's the kind of servant leadership 
that that was happening out of Chief Ivy was he was making sure the mission was happening because he got his good troops together, but he also made sure that they were taken care of and all the little things that get in the way of the mission and their personal lives were taken care of. And it it, it just took a, a, a thinking outside of the box of saying, well, what is it that we really want? I want these guys to be happy. I want this mission served. I want them to grow as a family. And she didn't have to tell me that story. I just mentioned his name. You know, and that's the kind of legacy that this guy left just from being himself and being a servant leader. Yeah. 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 And I I think that's those are important qualities of a leader of someone who is considering everyone's need and well-being and someone who acts with integrity where they're not going to just cut corners and cut out people's uh, needs and mm-hmm. things that are, are imperative to them. Cause that's, it's again, it's kind of like sleep. It's like the more that you mm-hmm. take care of things, the more the whole program, the whole group, the whole company works everything. More effectively. Everything, everything starts working better like that. Mm-hmm. Um, folks need rest. I mean, you know, no matter what your belief system is, you will find that, that even the higher religious figures you'll see in their texts, they rested. Yeah. They went away. They took some time away. You know, um, like I said before, you know, rest isn't just days off from work. You know, you can still carry that. If you've ever been on vacation with a family, you know that if you're running it, it's not always restful. There's, there's sometimes there's a lot of work that comes into even being on vacations per se. Um, but when you're getting true, adequate rest daily, it, it does roll forward, and you can be around to enjoy the fruits of your labors. Yeah, be more present with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's so much research that's coming out now about because there's so much leadership at a grand scale, whether it's like a corporation, you know, or right. the government levels, and, and that the most successful and, and happy and sustained employees are the ones where the leaders of those organizations are taking each individual into consideration. Yes. Their their well-being, their needs, their their best. So, you know, they're not being overlooked and being I've talked to a lot of people who work places where sort of without saying it, they'll encourage them to work overtime no yes. and to just yeah. push, push, push and not saying like, Hey, wait a minute, we're not going to do anything that isn't for the highest good of everyone within this organization. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately I think that can be, I think it's becoming more commonplace because they're realizing, especially now with what's going on, people are going to leave. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something going on right now. This, this, you know, this mass, the great resignation, the great resignation where people are like, yeah. you know, if I'm not being treated well, if I have to force myself into, yeah. into a schedule that is not for my my best, not for my health, I'm right. not going to do it. And so right. you would hope that people would, leaders would act that way no matter what, but it's kind of making mm-hmm. people look at things differently where it's like, wow, I think that maybe that is going to be one of the biggest ROIs. If I look at the well-being of my employees. It's really easy to look for them by including it in a health benefits package. Um, I will say that uh, there's a misconception out there that the grace of resignation is happening because people are getting stimulus checks because of COVID or what have you. Um, that, and that's absolutely not, that's, that's absolutely not true. It's like, oh, well, they're getting paid. Why should they go to work? I was like, well, you have to look because at some point I could maybe see that for like six months, but we're going on two years now. So folks are supporting themselves one way, shape or form. I have this theory about how some of it is happening and it has a lot to do with what you said. Folks don't feel like they're being treated right or, or scheduled. So let's take um, a fast food chain that is being minimally managed and folks are making 
$10 an hour to show up. And they're getting their eight hours a week, $10 an hour, but the health benefits aren't necessarily the best. Uh, the Getting called in, called out in shifts or what have you. Uh, and then COVID happens, shut down, no one can really work or what have you. Um, but the delivery system now is getting up. DoorDash, you know, Grubhub, whatever it is. You could probably make the same money using your own vehicle going to different places if you don't mind driving and getting, your, you know, getting benefits that way if you can still be covered under somebody's or even paying for your own from a side gig or, or what have you and be better off. Even if you're working just as hard, you know, it's to your own benefit and to your own hours and to your own schedule. Um, there are people who've left consulting jobs. They've left jobs and become consultants, and maybe they didn't make the big bucks, but they got to spend more time at home. Um, they got to conserve their resources. So maybe because I worked for a corporation, I was working 14, 16, 18 hours, and I was making uh, $100,000, but a lot of it was being spent traveling to and from, getting meals delivered. But now I can consult from home, take my kids to and from school. I don't have to hire somebody to do that. I don't necessarily have to hire babysitters. I don't have to hire tutors. I can make dinner at home and maybe I'm only making 50,000, but it's on my own dime, my own support. Um, so there are people that are leaving for legitimate reasons and they are finding ways to support themselves um, legitimately. So yeah, the great resignation could be happening because of that. Um, we even found out with, with my previous job that we always thought that maybe one or two days a week we could do our jobs remotely and be just as effective. Um, but it was really hard to get that through to the government organization I was working with um, at all levels. And then when COVID hit, we actually proved it. It actually was better for a lot of the families because now they didn't have to drive from all these places to be at this one meeting if they could give just as much support and get the information they need. Um, through a big Zoom meeting. We had family members that were from out of state that could actually be a support now to kids that were having issues. So it was interesting, very yeah. interesting. Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely one of the greatest gifts is the, because mm -hmm. we had to be very resourceful. All of a sudden yeah. we had to change so many things that we knew about our life and how mm -hmm. we operated and how we did our work. And we found, mm -hmm. and sometimes it takes that, it takes being yeah. forced to do something to recognize that you can. It's kind of like the saying like leap and the net will appear. Yeah, you know, is that sometimes you have to just have to do it to be like, oh, right. it is possible. You don't realize yeah. it's possible until you actually really try. Not just like a little right. bit of a try, like actually try. Actually try. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. unfortunately, I think most of us, and it's, this includes sleep and health and eating, yeah. is that we yeah. don't really try until things have gotten detrimental. Until it's like yeah. you go see a doctor and they say, hey, you've got a chronic illness that could be fatal. You need to. Absolutely. Yes. It. And then we're like, yeah. Okay. But if it's like, yeah, I should probably do this. I should, we're all kind of like lukewarm. And I think this forced us to be a little bit more assertive about how can we actually approach work differently. And now we're seeing the way that we work totally shifting in so many ways. So mm -hmm. I think that's exciting. And you know, what you described reminds me that I feel like we're also, you know, taking a step back and looking a little more at quality of life rather than just what am I achieving? What am I earning? Where, like, am I, what is it leading to? You know, it's right, all about right. again, ROI. We just keep yeah. it that. It's, it's like, return of well, if I make all this darn money, but I work all the time and I never see my family and I don't sleep and I'm not really happy, then why mm -hmm. am I doing it? And I think that's such an important question for us to ask ourselves always is why am I doing this? Why I mean, am I doing this? Yeah. yeah. What's the goal? I, you know, I'm one of those, I don't know, I guess it worked out so far. Um, but you know, we grew up, maybe, you know, you're a little bit younger than me, probably a lot younger than me, but everything was like, you, you go to school, you, you get a good job, you, you go to college, you get a good job, 
um, you work 20 years for somebody and then you're going to have uh, a nice watch and a nice retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the pipeline from when you get in. Even my son, when he was in the eighth grade, was, you know, I'm just registering him for middle school and I'm seeing all these brochures and pamphlets for these colleges. I'm like, what if he doesn't want to go? You know, and so I even told my kids, I was like, you know, yeah, I have two master's degrees, but I don't say college is somewhere you have to go. I always say, whatever it is you figure out you want to do, I said, first try out the waters in anything. And if you figure out whatever it is you want to do, get the next level of education for that, mm-hmm. whether it's college, whether it's practical or what have you, because that's going to do you more important, you know, and even running your own business, oh, be your own boss. It's like, you know what? You're never your own boss. You're always going to be the, you're, you're serving your customers. And, and so your hours can suck at the beginning, but you have to plan ahead and say, okay, at some point I got to start turning these things over and investing in that so I can enjoy the rest of my life, even if I'm going to be working for myself. Um, so, you know, I'm always in, trying to encourage my, cause I have young adults now. I have a 19 and a 22 year old. So I've, I've tried to set that up for them because I didn't want to be a career Air Force person. Even when I got out at 10 years, folks are like, why didn't you just do 20? I'm like, if you've never done 30 or even if you've done one year, I said, you know how hard this is. I was like, mm-hmm. I love the military. I love my time in there. I was like, but it was time for me to go because there's other stuff that I feel like I need to do. And I'm so glad I did. And a lot of folks are like, I'm so glad you did, you know? And I talk to people now that are that I knew then that are now they're in 18, 19 years. And they're like, I've hated these last few years. You know, I'm mm-hmm. realizing now is like this was for some it was it was too hard for others. are like, I'm so glad I finished this career. I'm really prepared for the rest of my life. And that's great. That's those are the choices. You have to know why you're making the choices. And, and hopefully it's not because society pressured you into it, um, that you have to do this and you have to do that. Yeah. You got your education, so you have to do something with your degree here. It's like no one can take away your education, period. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I, I think it is important for us to consistently check in with ourselves and ask if we're pushing the limits because, again, why? The question why is so important. Because mm-hmm. to your point, I, mean, I think some of us, I actually know a lot of people in you know, the social work realm, well, they will stay at a job that is incredibly taxing and mentally exhausting and really traumatic in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. it's hard to sustain it for long periods of time, you know, we did it to get our hours. And I felt like that was, you know, like we said, it's like, it's on the ground. It's like, you're facing yeah. some of those challenging cases yeah. and things that you will see in this line of work. And I think yeah. there's something to say for when you need to, you got to get out, move on. Yeah. I think people yeah. will stay longer, whether it's the military or a job yeah. or even a relationship, things that are really taxing on you, but they say, but what am I going to do if I leave or, or I'm a, I yeah. have an obligation to stay. Yeah. I think it's important that I, encourage this a lot as a therapist is your greatest obligation is always to yourself because if you are not sound and stable and well, then what are you even able to contribute to these things yes. that you feel so obligated to? Yes. Uh, I, I hear you. I hear you all over that. It's um, it's, it is, we can really super commit ourselves to stuff because we do feel obligated instead of taking care of our entire and whole selves. There was an opportunity for me to work for a different company here that probably in the long run had better benefits. They the, the long projected was like the room for promotion. If I just finished this certification, that certification would have been great. Um, the work was more boots on the ground. And that's and and I didn't even realize it until I was talking to a relative that that wasn't the job for me. Even though it, in the long run, it was going to be the most financially beneficial and secure, it wasn't a job. I started talking about the choice in this and I was like, you know, I'm just realizing like I need, I need rest. 
I was like, I need to take myself away from being in the middle of these families because it's been six years of working with homeless and foster children and foster families. And then the practicum before that was more homeless and veterans and all that. And it's, and it's taxing and it's tolling. And I still am finding ways to help those families. Like some of the sleep classes, like, again, I'm doing the one for veterans. Um, You know, I'm going to be reaching out to veteran organizations to present some free classes, but the day to day was like starting to, I didn't realize it was going to eat away at me. Um, Interestingly enough, the last time I had some serious trouble sleeping was, was during the COVID shutdown. It wasn't because of COVID. Um, It was because I could not see my foster kids that I was working with because we weren't allowed to go out and I would see them once a month. You know, I wasn't the day-to-day therapist, but being able to have that face-to-face check-in, I didn't realize it was eating me up until I started crying at every commercial until um, there was a Taylor Swift song that I saw her performing and I'm crying like, why am I crying to Taylor Swift? I don't even like her voice, you know? Uh, but I was like, I need to do something. <laughs> it's like, cause I, I started checking in with myself like, okay, I know this is a shutdown, but what is happening to you right now? And I ended up going to the beach and I had not been to the beach in probably seven years. Every time I went to the beach, it was fun, but it was always with kids and family. You got to go here, get this hotel, all this stuff. And I was like, I think I just want to go to the beach. And I drove an hour to the beach, couldn't park anywhere because they closed it for public parking, but found an overlook. I cracked open that window and I just started crying just from the salt air and everything and watching the waves like I needed this. And that became my rest. I started going every three or four weeks, family, by myself. And then they stopped coming with me. And I think they knew before I knew that this is what I need to do by myself. Because I'm always like, oh, who wants to come with you know? But I started going and just drive for an hour, go lay out for an hour, come back for an hour, drive for an hour, go eat somewhere, and then come back for an hour. And it didn't matter to me that it was just an hour of being there, but two hours of driving to and from. The fact was I went and I got to suck in this nature that I probably wouldn't have done had it not been for COVID. Um, and so, And so then the next draw was like, okay, I think we really are trying to move back to the East Coast, but we don't want to be back from where we're from. We want to go back somewhere naturist and everything lined up. So now here I am in Asheville, sleeping great, you know. So can't imagine it wouldn't be Asheville is such a beautiful, peaceful place. I mean, just yeah, gorgeous yeah. setting. I mean, that yeah. is, I had to get used to the quiet. I was like, it's a little too quiet out here. It's very quiet. Yeah. Very still. I yeah. love a lot about that. Yeah. yeah. And you know, everything that, that you're sort of describing is sort of the essence of this show, right? My idea for Women Awaken is the concept of we're reaching a critical point where we need to shift back into a more, what we would call feminine energy, which again, of course, mm-hmm. both men and females have it. It's just that it's the rooted energy. It's the, the realization that you can't, because to me, masculine is about, if you could simplify it, is about growth and feminine is about the roots. You need yes. both systems to work. You don't, if yes. you have a great root system, but you're not growing at all, then, you know, what's, what, what's, you know, what's occurring? What are you creating? And that's an important part of life, but you also, you can't just have massive growth without any root system. And I think yeah. honestly, what we're seeing both again in people and in organizations and in our society at large is there's so much growth so quickly and so much focus on it that we're toppling over. Things are yeah. apart. We're falling apart because we're not yeah. connecting. And so what you just described, those moments where you go and you recognize my body's breaking down, my emotions are not in check because you needed that time to take a breath and mm-hmm. reconnect with what's true. And that was another huge gift from COVID was so many people, myself included, thought more about our time in nature, reconnecting oh, yeah. with our 
environment and how powerful that is and how important that is on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I have a very close relative that um, had been neglecting health, um, was running on fumes. Um, But then when COVID stopped, like that relative had nothing else to do, nowhere to go with work, and then started saying, you know, maybe I should probably start making some appointments and found out some pretty scary stuff. Um, but then really started taking action instead of doing something that worked for like three months or four months, like became a, it's become a lifelong going on to something years now of, of taking care of themselves to deal with some things and healthier than they've ever been. And it's, again, it's, it's to a side benefit of it, you know, of, of COVID, you know, and it's horrible. And this is obviously, we're not trying to minimize anybody who's lost. I've lost people, I've lost relatives due to COVID and all these things. Um, there's a lot that's changed, but from the society perspective of things, there's been a lot of opportunity for growth and change in, in all of us to do some really deep self-reflecting. But again, not just going to the roots of that self-reflecting, but then doing some growth out of it, like you said. You know, Both are so important. Both are needed. Great. There, I heard one time I heard sort of this idea of like the divine masculine and feminine as like the, the both wings of a bird. You know, mm-hmm. you need both to be there to balance it out. You can't just have one. Like we don't want to go all the yeah. way from masculine to just the feminine. Cause then you're still yeah. just it's, yeah. it's unbalanced. It's not centered, but when you have both working together, it's something really remarkable that I, you know, and sometimes you have to go through enough turmoil to acknowledge as, as we've been talking about this whole podcast to yeah. acknowledge that there is a, a, a disbalance and that you need to correct it and how, and I feel like yeah. we're being given the opportunity through this to identify those things and address them mm-hmm. in our own ways. And you're doing it in your own way. And I'm so yeah. excited for you. I mean, talk about being a service leader. You know, I'm so stoked that you're creating a business for yourself where you are using your vision in service. Now. You're doing a podcast, Whitney. I was like, this is so cool. Like one of my friends is also doing a podcast. You are too. We're both in the podcast. Yeah, we're yeah, podcasting. Cool yeah. I'm into it. It was so cool because I remember it was like, hey, I want you on my podcast. You're like, I've been I've been working on doing it. I was like, oh, that's cool. You know. So again, seeing you going through the growth and addressing your own traumas and now passing on what you've learned to other people because you've got such a great voice for it and a great ear and a great energy to it all. You know, like we're super proud of you too, because you know we've got our common circle of friends that we've bonded with since Kaminar, and it's like, mm-hmm. look at Whitney now. You know, again, you were the person I called when I lost a client. I was like, I've never had this experience. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I was like, oh, I know who I need to call, and I had no problem. It was so easy to call you, and you were such a big help with all that stuff. And that was a huge moment of growth for me because I had to get rooted and it's like, okay, let's see, you know, what's really going on. What did you have to do with it? What can you get from this? You know, and how can you pass his legacy on? And so it all does interconnect and intertwine. So, yeah. It does. And I was so grateful that you called because sometimes it's moments like that 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 help us to recognize that the things that we've gone through, some of the most traumatic things can become this beautiful healed wound that we can then help others with, you know, Mm because you can't really fully understand until you've been through something. That's the most effective you can offer someone else guidance and support when you find someone else that's gone through what you went through. Yes. Yes. So everything really becomes like this beautiful gem as, as awful as it sounds at the time, no, just kind of like COVID, you never want this to happen. And so many people are suffering and have been lost yet. You know, there's something that can come from some of the worst things that we go through in our life. It's growth. And it's almost like this badge that you're then able to communicate to others. I I see you and I know what you've been through. You know, when you called me, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that in a while. 
you know, um, yeah. work together. I, I lost a client who mm-hmm. was suicided and it was incredibly upsetting and mm-hmm. so hard to, to work through. Yet when someone calls you and says, Hey, I actually went through the same thing. And how did you, it made it said, mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. just out of, for nothing. It wasn't that all that struggle allows me to now speak to someone to their situation and offer yeah. something. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. And that's what we're really all doing in this lifetime. Cause we all have, we go through a lot of the same things, but a little bit, mm-hmm. we're all unique. Our lives are a little bit mm-hmm. different and unique. And in that way, yeah. our specific path can impart yeah. and help others. Yeah. And we can do it from the strengths and not the fear. You know, that was one of the things I wanted to make sure I was doing with my kids you know, with my wife and, and, and I raising them and, you know, my, my boy's 19. So he asked me all the time, what were you doing at this age? You know, he's like, Hey, I remember you told me you used to work here. I was like, yeah, now I can tell you the real stories now that you're an adult, you know? Um, so I, I try to tell him things, um, as a young man and not necessarily like my baby that I got to protect and be, Oh, don't do this. Cause this could happen to you. It's like, nope, here's what I went through and here's what I got out of it. You can do what you want you know, and what do you want out of this? And here's where this could help you. And here's where I might be concerned. And so um, that's where I feel like I'm at now in my life is being able to do that. And there's, I mean, there's no better um, test than your own family. (laughs) So I'm always joking with people when I say, yeah, you'll say my house is your house to a stranger, but let your sister touch your bag of Doritos, you know? And you're like, those are mine, you know, because, you know, we can easily easily brush them off and be too, you know, focused. But when you can do the right thing at home, then you're establishing really, really, really good roots, you know, for the growth that we talk about. And so, you know, you were my home when it came to that, when it dealt with these clients and the loss and all that was like, I don't need to go read a bunch of pamphlets and grief stuff right yet. I said, let me talk to home first and see who I know that went through this, that can talk to me. And then I can go from there. And so there you were. Yeah. And I think that also lends itself to the idea, the importance of having a support system. Mm-hmm. I think that so often people feel very alone, even when they might work in a really big organization or have, you know, a lot of different colleagues and, and acquaintances. If you, the act, cause what you described, the actual support system is like your, your home base, your family, yeah. your extended family. And if you don't have those people that you can really come to with your real issues and concerns, it's, it's really challenging so I yeah. think that is a big part of health is who is your, who's your community? Who's your network? And, you know, the, the popular term now is like your tribe, right? Like find yeah. your tribe. Your tribe? Yes. Yeah. Which makes me like, I'm ex- I hope that we move back to more of a community eventually. I think that yeah. you know, like this pinnacle part where we've like, you know, we live in giant cities, we have huge corporations, but we're realizing that how impactful that can be. Uh, and as far as like it's the weight it has on our mm-hmm. mental and physical health to be that disconnected, whereas communities and villages are conducive to health because if you're working together, you connect with one another emotionally, physically, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's very much more conducive to, to doing yeah. to thriving, which is so important. And more, and more of the communities, even in the corporation level that, that have the most retention, it's because they've designed their businesses that way. Exactly. Um, there's a local grocery chain that I go in there and it's really neat to listen to people that come in. They're like, 
oh, I work for the same store in this different state. And they start talking. I was like, this is like my military life. Like if I ran into somebody that was, I said, oh, you were in the Air Force? And we would just start chatting. But this is a grocery chain. But I started researching the grocery chain. It's like they offer their employees like stock options. Uh, They actually give them shares of stock after a certain period of working. They offer them stock options all the time. So they're constantly bought in to the grocery store. Um, they're always like, why is everyone so extra friendly and extra helpful here? It's well, because they set the pace from the start, from coming in. It's like, no, if you're going to be in this, this is like a legit family. And they don't even sell their stocks publicly. So it's really like, you know, a lot of it is is employee owned at this point. Yeah. Um, so that even at the higher levels of corporations or the guy that, that um, when he raised everyone's salary to be minimum $75,000 a year, and folks told him years ago, I was like, you're going to go out of business giving all your employees. And six years later, he's got more growth than anybody. He cut his salary down and raised everyone else's up. I was like, okay, if this is what it takes to live here, the bottom minimum, everybody's going to get the bottom minimum of this. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. It can happen at all levels. It can happen at all levels. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it all comes down to consideration mm-hmm. for others and for ourselves, right? Yes. It all comes down to consideration for what are you doing? to be at your healthiest, yeah. to be at your best, you know? Yeah. And cause then that's, and I know that you encourage us in your leadership role is, mm-hmm. you know, when you're doing your best, that's when you're going to produce the best and you're going to be able to lead the best. Yes. So you're going to lead the best. Yeah. And you, self-care, great sleep, even your family, get them incorporated in your sleep. If you're trying to get sleep, let them know this is, this is what's happening right now. Um, you know, I was like, I'm not really getting a ton of good sleep. So if you guys can handle all this noise or anything you want to do here while I do this here, things are going to get better. You have to, it's a team effort. It's like, if I broke my leg, it would be no question for my family would be like, Oh my gosh, let's get you everything. Let's do this. Let's do that. But if I'm like, I can't sleep and I come out there with, I can't sleep. That's sleep is an interruption to the day as far as most people know. But it was like, Hey, I need this rest because this is how my body is repairing. This is how my mind is sharp so I can get up and pack all your things and help you get, doing what you do and then be there for myself, then it's, again, it's that, that roots and that growth. It's all happening at once. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's all part of it. Wow. Well, Paul, this has been such an amazing conversation. I didn't expect it to go all these different places, but it did. And it was so good. It incorporates everything, our well-being, our thriving. A lot of it comes down to sleep and regenerating and just considering ourselves. So, Thank you so much, Paul. And it's right. so good to see you and to connect yeah. with you and talk with you and to see you in this place where you're in this fabulous new location. Again, I'm, mm-hmm. I have to say I'm jealous because I loved Asheville so much. Yeah, I've been there in yeah. a second. Such a beautiful yeah. time. Great food. They good food. There's just good, good place. Absolutely. And again, carrying out your vision as a yes. leader with this new role. So congratulations on everything. Thank you. And I want to uh, extend a special offer to you and your audience. Right. Um, we like that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my website is sleepyoudeserve.com. I'm sure we can put the links in the show notes and everything. Anybody that's listening to this uh, from the time it airs for the next 60 days can get 25, 25% off of any services that they get from me whether it's a one-on-one coaching, whether you want me to work with your organization, 25% off just because you are a fan and follower. More importantly, not beyond a fan, a follower of Whitney Walker and Women Waken. So, awesome. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. That's such a fantastic yeah. offering. I'm sure many people will take you up on that because 
sleep. We need it. And so many people yes. struggle. Okay, so I'm so excited to, to have this episode. Yeah. I haven't addressed this yet. I haven't gone here yet. So yeah. thank you for that. Thank you for your expertise. And I look forward to uh, doing it again soon. Yes. Yes. Let's do that. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Take care. Thank you. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guests. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.